the combination of the joy and hard work that allows me to really be my best as an athlete and to go beyond like those limits and really go beyond what's achievable by hard work alone. Because the person who's having fun and who loves what they're doing, they will always outperform the person who's suffering and struggling. What's going on? Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 237 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I am chatting with my girl, Kate Courtney. She is a pro mountain bike racer that I had the awesome opportunity to hang out with in person when I moderated Strava's year in sport event this past December. Known to many on Instagram as Kate Plus Fate, Kate is a world champion. She's an Olympian and her story is one filled with resilience and of course her fair share of hurdles. In today's episode, Kate talks all about how she came to fall in love with cycling and ultimately heading to Stanford University in 2013 when she signed her first professional contract with Specialized Bicycles. She talks openly about her experience in navigating injury and what it was like for her to really have to overcome this massive hurdle of wondering if she was falling out of love with her sport, rediscovering her why, which helped her ultimately stand firm in her purpose. She talks about how it was difficult to navigate the pandemic and her sport, as well as the pushback of the Olympics and offers up some really, really helpful advice for anyone who feels as though there are just days that they are incapable of showing up. At 27, Kate is wise beyond her years, and this is truly one of those conversations that had me re-listening, really thinking about what are the things that I want? What is my purpose? And what am I willing to do to go after my big, scary, hairy, audacious goals? I also really love how Kate talks about the intersection of enjoying what you do, having fun with what you do, and pursuing your goals, knowing that that could require hard work, but it is possible to both work hard and have fun. Love, love this conversation. Excited to bring it to the feed today. And also want to make sure that I throw this out there. If you haven't rated and reviewed Hurdle yet in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, it would mean the world to me. I'm always looking to help others discover the show. And a good way that they can do that is by your positive reviews. So thank you for that in advance. If you have a listener question, I would love to answer it in an upcoming episode of Hurdle. Head on over to the show notes and click leave me a voice message. Plus, also make sure you're following along with the show over on social media. It's over at Hurdle Podcast. I myself am over at Emily Abadi. And last little bit of housekeeping here, the weekly hurdle. It's a weekly newsletter that you can get a lot of the same motivation, inspiration, stuff you love about the show in your inbox every single Friday. Subscribe 
via the link, you guessed it, in the show notes. And with that, let's get to it. Let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Kate Courtney. She's a professional mountain bike rider. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for making the time. You're out in Tahoe right now, which looks like a dream. Winter wonderland for sure. Um, Up here, (laughs) started on Christmas. So we always spend the holidays up here with my husband's family and then uh, built in a couple weeks of training in winter wonderland, which is great. So what does training look like for you when you're in a winter wonderland? It's a good question. And it's something I've thought about and worked on for a few years. Um, I actually grew up ski racing, but when I started doing an endurance sport, mountain biking, uh, it kind of fell by the wayside because it's it's hard to get out and run or ride up here. So um, recently I've gotten really into backcountry skiing and that's where you skin up the mountain, which is actually pretty similar to riding a mountain bike. Um, and you can kind of keep your heart rate in that zone one, two range for hours and hours out in the mountains. Um, and that's kind of like reinvigorated my skiing. Um, so I can be up here, I can run, I go to the gym and and do a lot of ski touring. Going up the mountain is something that I didn't even know was a thing until like a few years ago. And when I learned about it, it truly blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I call it the mountain biking of winter. It's like very similar. You kind of, you get out, you're out of the resort, um, you're out in the woods, you kind of have this like little bit of a kind of meditative activity of climbing these mountains and also ski touring, you never do alone, uh, mostly because of avalanche risks. So usually out there chatting it up and then and skiing some great snow. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. <laughs> It sounds great. It sounds great. Well, I'm so glad that you've been able to get out there and at least enjoy some extra time with your family. You right now, though, still in the height of training season. Talk to us about how you're feeling these days about where you're at with your performance. Yeah, it's definitely a a big year for me. Next year is an Olympic year. So this is kind of where you start to make progress towards those big goals. And for me, I think um, I've learned in the last couple of years that it's really about having periodization in my training and knowing, okay, I have this block. What's the goal? And did I achieve that goal? Um, So this year, I've done a lot more performance testing. So lactate tests, strength testing on force plates, blood testing, you know, might might get a little technical there. But um, for me, it's really helped me feel confident that I'm doing what I want to do with my training and to also have a lot of insight from my coaches on that. So um, we start usually November 1st, and then I have kind of my first block through Christmas. So that's like the big base season, base season in the gym, tons of hours on the bike. Um, and then I retest right before Christmas and and Christmas through New Year's is kind of my like rest period. Uh, and I think critically the like mental reset where I feel like, you know, I'm still training I'm still doing activity, but I'm mentally not feeling like I'm at work every single second on my bike. And so for me having that check-in before Christmas, seeing, okay, I'm on track. My training's going really well. Um, I feel healthy and strong allows me to be up here and, and take that mental rest. Um, and I think right now I'm just kind of, you know, getting to that point where I'm really excited to go home and 
put in a ton of work in January. Just like so many, I mean, it's great to hear that you do get that time to do a little bit of a reset because I think that that can be a really big struggle, at least in so many of the conversations I've had for the show. The amount of sacrifice that comes hand in hand with going after your dreams. I'd love to rewind a little bit and get some understanding, some background from you mm-hmm. on when, you know, you're you're talking about getting ready for another Olympic year. When did chasing these dreams on this level when it comes to being on your bike become a thing for you? Yeah, I think like so many things in the athletic world, it it happened very slowly and then kind of all at once. Um, I fell in love with cycling from a young age with my dad uh, growing up in Marin where mountain biking was originally invented in the 70s. So there's definitely like a culture of being out, being out on the bike, exploring. Um, but it wasn't until a lot later that I really figured out there was this kind of whole competitive world that could be unlocked. And I think honestly, being a bit naive, helped me in that sense. I didn't know necessarily where I was going. I just kind of focused on the next step. Oh, if I if I can win a local race, what about if it's a, you know, statewide race? What if I do a national level race? What if, you know, where do I stack up in the international field? Um and those are kind of step by step. And I think it was it was really when I was in college and started racing. Technically I was an under 23, so 19 to 22. Uh, in the World Cups, but you race professionally in the U.S. And I think um, that was kind of the moment I started to think, wow, okay, this could be a long-term career opportunity for me. Um, and what would that look like? And I think, you know, through college, it was it was definitely balancing those two priorities. School was still a big part of my life. Um, and I wasn't necessarily at a place competitively where I could say, yeah, I can for sure support myself with this. Um, but at the end of college, my kind of my last year as a student, I had some really big international results. And I think that's the moment where I started to think, you know, why not me? Why, why couldn't I win? Um, why can't I set the goal of being on the podium or the goal of going to the Olympics, um, and kind of, you know, set that next level of dreams and aspirations that seemed, you know, like a big leap at the time, um, but were necessary to make it a kind of full-time career for me. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it's no secret that the pay for women for so long has been so far behind the pay of the men. So when you were getting started to truly follow your gut and like pursue a career in your sport, was that scary for you? Yeah, I think one of the the big things that helped me was being a student. Um, I think I thought of those two competing dreams or priorities um, as being really equally weighted at that time in my life. And so it held me back a little bit from the pressure. Um, And I think that was a huge advantage at the time. I think if I had been 19 and had the pressure to, you know, have my livelihood depend on my results... I probably would have overtrained, burned out, and had a really tough time just having longevity in the sport. Um, and I think by the time I graduated school, I was a little more confident. I knew myself better. Um, I had a little bit of a different perspective, and I was ready physically also to meet the demands of that training schedule and to kind of you know level up uh, both in terms of the mental goals, the kind of pressure of being a full time athlete. 
um, and the physical demand that that takes. When you say the pressure of being a full-time athlete, expand on that a little bit for us. What is the pressure that goes hand in hand with this level of performance? Yeah, it's a really good question because there's the obvious, you know, your paycheck depends partially on your results uh, piece of it. And that that's definitely part of it. But I think for me and for a lot of elite athletes, I know it's really this intrinsic pressure and drive that, um, you know, got me into the sport. It, it encouraged me to kind of work hard and pursue these dreams and push myself. Um, but that also has to be managed. I think that's probably my biggest like double-edged sword is that desire to push and to try to make these results happen by sheer willpower. Um, and often, you know, you're not going to succeed without the hard work, without showing up to training every day, without giving your best and pushing your limits. Um, but it's also not necessarily enough. Like sometimes you need the stars to align and the right circumstances to evolve for you to get that result on the right day. And so I think there's like this balance of pressure and desire to achieve and the courage to commit to it that has to be balanced with this humility of, okay, I'm a human being and I'm trying to do something really hard and it's completely uncertain. Um, and I think for me, that's been a huge part of the learning curve is accepting that there's days when I'm just not going to feel great or that there's days that I need rest or that there's races that won't go well for things that are outside my control. Things can be canceled. I can get sick. I can have a flat tire. Um, and to be, you know, dedicated to the process through all of that and kind of accepting it as it comes. Uh, and I think as a young athlete, you know, I was really rewarded for working hard and for pushing my limits. And I think that was an incredibly positive experience. Uh, but something I've learned more recently is the ability to balance that with rest and to not just, you know, recover, but to rest and to be able to um, pursue those long-term goals over a long period of time. Two things to double click on. The first thing is how did you get to a place where you felt better navigating uncertainty? I think I'm still in process on that one. Uh, but I think we've all gotten a little bit of a crash course in the last three years. Um, for me, you know, every, everyone was impacted differently by the pandemic. And for me, it was really a huge disruption to the Olympic year. Um, I think there were a lot of scenarios that I planned for in my mind, you know, races not going well, training not lining up, not making the team, but having the Olympics moved or canceled was not something that really made the short list of expectations. Uh, and I think that really, I struggled with that for a long time, um, just to kind of get my feet back underneath me in terms of, you know, opening your mind to that uncertainty and still being willing to try and put yourself out there again and again. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it comes back to that kind of humility piece and to being dedicated to the process, knowing that the results are never guaranteed and that they never were. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. The other thing to touch on is you speaking so candidly about the concept of rest and that being something that over the years you've become better with navigating, let's say. Was there a point for you where you had to navigate maybe overtraining because of your lack of a desire to rest? 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is certainly why that topic is top of mind for me. I struggled big time with the Olympic year um, being moved. So we had the kind of 2020 pandemic year where everyone was home and I basically just trained. Uh, and then the Olympic year, which just really didn't go well for me. And I think in hindsight, a huge part of that was the compounding effect of just multiple years of dealing with challenges, dealing with uncertainty, um, and having the same response every time, which is, oh, I must need to work harder, uh, which I think is a pretty typical response for a lot of endurance athletes is, oh, we've, we've come up against a challenge, double down. And eventually you can't double down anymore. And in fact, um, you know, you come to a point of not just diminishing returns, but where actually the overtraining, overtrying, adding load works against you. Um, and it's often so easy to see from the outside or in hindsight, but as it's happening, I think it's really hard. And for me at the time, at a certain point, I think because of the stress and just the compounding effect of the few years, my body just did not respond the same way to training. Like I was training the same amount and getting less out of it. And when you have that, it's really hard to say, oh, I actually need to do less and then reset. Um, I think you're kind of trying to like pull it back from the edge and you're like, oh, if it's if I'm getting less out of it, I'll just do more, um, which has, again, the opposite effect. So I kind of got into a really deep hole by the end of the 2021 season and physically just was in a really bad place. Like, I think um, it's easy to say, oh, it's the stress, it's overtraining, it's so mental. But, you know, I took some blood tests and my cortisol in that fall was 53, which is like five times the normal amount. It's It should be like 10 to 14 for me. Um, and I think that actually was the first thing that helped me understand how physical stress and overtraining and even just life circumstances um, can be. And I really, I was forced to rest in a big way for that. So last season, that was kind of the, the focus of my fall. You highlighted the way that you felt physically, but how did you feel emotionally by the end of that season? Oh, awful. Awful. Yeah. I think I just was really um, depleted, I would say, and at times really discouraged. Like it, it got to a point where you're thinking, you know, I, I got into the sport because I love it. Like I love riding my bike. I love racing my bike. I love to compete. Like these are things that are very or feel very central to like who I am. And you get to this point where all of a sudden, you know, for me, this thing that I love doing started being kind of a ne negative experience. Like I would show up to the races knowing physically I wasn't where I wanted to be and having a, a bad experience in the race. And then, you know, having that kind of compound on itself, you know, I got to this point where I was thinking, you know, is, is cycling making me a better version of myself or is it starting to have the opposite effect? Is it starting to kind of tear me down instead of build me up? And I felt like, that's a point where that rest became an asset, not just for restoring my body, but for allowing me mentally to kind of sift through that feeling and separate out what was fatigue from what was something I needed to work on. And I think the biggest piece was to kind of let all of the external inputs and, and opinions 
fade away and connect with why I was doing it. Um, and I think allowing myself to contemplate that was challenging. Absolutely. But in the end, it kind of gave me this ability to find that answer within myself and to say, no, I, I really want to do this. I don't want to do it in this way. So how do I do it differently? How do I do it better? How do I do it in a way that, you know, of course, works towards my goals? Like I really, really want to win bike races, but that also has a positive impact on me as a person that allows me to learn about myself, that allows me to show up not just as a better racer, but as a better role model and leader and partner and athlete overall. Um, and so I think, you know, I'm obviously still working on that. I would say last year was like, I called it the year of foundations. We were like rebuilding a foundation to stand on. And this year is the year of building. So kind of adding little pieces to that puzzle and, um, you know, trusting not just what my body's doing, not just what the numbers say, not just what the results say, but trusting that voice of, does this feel right? Does this feel like I'm on the right track, like my training feels good, like I'm happy and motivated and allowing that piece of feedback to be just as important. Yeah. And it's understandable you're at this point of complete depletion because you were just kind of running into the wall again and again, working so hard and so many different external factors were changing what you were working on. So to get to this point of depletion, it's super understandable. And then for you to, to really highlight, you know, you were talking about the different roles that you play in your life, being a partner, you know, being a role model, and then kind of in the end of your list saying, and an athlete, it's so clear that you've done so much work here to really look at your life in a holistic way and really laying that foundation, as you said, to think about what is it that truly makes Kate happy? And that's a hard question to ask and a hard question to answer, no matter how much work you've done in your on yourself, right? To get to a point where you can be truly wholeheartedly honest with yourself and ask the hard questions exactly like you did, that's, it's really challenging. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think <laughs> I've learned a lot about resilience through that process. And it's, you know, what you just said about this, like honesty piece and what makes you happy. I think in the endurance sports world, there's often been a little bit of resistance to that. I think there's like this kind of push through, suffer, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes mentality, which I absolutely agree with. Like you have to have that mentality, but it has to be applied in the right way. And I think there's huge value in the ability to be honest and to be present and to be in the moment um, as well. And I think it's actually like the combination of these two things. I say for me, it's like the combination of the joy and hard work that allows me to really be my best as an athlete and to go beyond like those limits and really go beyond what's achievable by hard work alone. Because the person who's having fun and who loves what they're doing they will always outperform the person who's suffering and struggling. They will be able to take on more capacity to push harder and to achieve more just by virtue of the fact that in a given moment, one person might be saying, this is really hard and I'm struggling, but I will overcome. And that person's saying, man, it's like amazing to be on my bike and I love this and I'm succeeding. And I think 
that's part of having a resilient and strong and tough mindset as much as the ability to kind of suffer and push through, which is, of course, also part of the sport. It's it's a fine line sometimes, right? Because you want to make sure that you're finding the joy. If you're not having fun, then truly I am also of the mindset, like what's the point, right? But there also does become a point where that certain level of grit is going to give you an added edge. And that's grit that you found in your career, you know, in all of your accomplishments. So kind of finding the balance there certainly can be challenging. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But this isn't going to be your first Olympics that you're prepping for. Talk to us about your first trip to the Olympics. Yeah, I so I was on the team in 2020, which became 2021 uh, in Tokyo, and it kind of came at the the end of kind of my best two or three years. Um, I won the U23 World Cup overall uh, in 2017. Um, 2018, I won the World Championships. In 2019, I won the Elite World Cup overall. So it was kind of this like huge progression over these three years. Um, and I automatically qualified for the team in 2019. So I was, had punched my ticket, um, by the time we got to 2020. And then of course things were up in the air a little bit for a few years, but yeah, for me, you know, the race did not go necessarily to plan. I had a really tough, um, experience in the actual race. Uh, but I think it also has helped me to kind of as we've talked about, reassess my process and change some critical things that I think are going to give me the best chance of having the results I want in the rest of my career. Um, and that's something that, you know, is really hard to do, especially in these Olympic cycles, but playing that long game, not just the two-year game or the four-year game, but the, what do I want the trajectory of my entire career to be? Um, and I think for me, that of course involves hopefully a few more Olympic cycles, um, but also involves a lot of other races along the way. And it's, it's really about using that feedback to improve every stage of the game. I want to talk about mountain biking as a sport because it is clearly a completely different, let's call it beast than road cycling and that there is a lot, a lot, a lot of technicality involved. How did you know that you wanted to lean into mountain biking versus road cycling? Yeah, I grew up not really knowing that mountain biking was a sport. Um, for me at the time, I think, you know, cycling was the Tour de France, which was not only all road bikes, but also all men until this past year. Um, so I never really saw myself in that sport, uh, growing up, but when I found mountain biking, I think for me, it was this kind of combination of all these things I loved. It was kind of a home for my competitive spirit. I loved, you know, the mass start full effort. It's kind of similar to a marathon. It's about an hour and a half. Um, and it's the first person to cross that finish line. So I love that competitive aspect of it. Um, but I also loved all those other elements. There's kind of the mechanical side of things. You have to manage a bike. There's the technical side of things. We have rock gardens and drops and rocks and single track to manage and navigate in the race. Um, it's incredibly physical. It's, we call it like sprinting marathon. It's a super anaerobic sport, but it's also long. So it kind of 
walks that line of needing endurance, but also needing that sprint power to compete. And at the end of the day, it's really fun. Like I love the training for it. I love going out, being in the woods, being on the trail um, and having that kind of like solo experience on the mountain bike. Um, but I also love the races, which have some element of that. Of course, it's not quite as uh, introspective out on a World Cup circuit with tons of fans and the noise and the competition. Um, but I think it dil- still does bring out some of those elements of, you know, you're out there, you're on the bike, it's you in the trail, and you're just trying to go as fast as you possibly can. It's interesting as well, you saying uh, or making note of the fact that we didn't see women in the Tour de France day until last year. and for you growing up and then deciding that this is the direction that you wanted to go in. It's what, how did that feel for you to not see a lot of examples of strong women doing the thing that you felt so passionate about? I think it's been an interesting thing to watch evolve over time. Um, Mountain biking actually has been a lot more equal. Um, We have, we race on the same courses as the men. We've had the same prize money since I've been in the sport. The kind of generation right ahead of me uh, advocated and and worked really hard to make sure that we had equal prize money. So a lot of these kind of like bigger picture structural things are the same in mountain biking, which I think probably attracted me to the sport. You know, I, I saw that there was that kind of platform, but there still are a lot of ways in which that inequality kind of seeps in, whether it's in the attitudes, the way that the women are talked about, the the time that they race, the size of the fields, the salaries, like there's all these kind of subtle indicators of, you know, maybe we're not being valued in the same way. Um, and I think in a positive sense, that's what I've started to see change throughout my kind of 10 years on the circuit is that you know, I do think women are being valued and supported in a much more equal way. Um, and there is a lot of work still to be done in that sense. But it's definitely part of what I think makes mountain biking really unique and a super exciting sport to watch. Like we have an incredibly competitive women's field. Um, and I think we had over 100 women in the World Cup in multiple races last year, which is just huge growth. Uh, and I think that's not just the result of women being interested and wanting to participate, but it's the result of companies being willing to pay women to focus on it and to support women in getting to the races and competing um, and to value the output of that effort, which is really competitive, exciting, dynamic racing. When you say the way that women are talked about, paint an example of what that may look like. Yeah. So the example that kind of comes to mind is saying like, oh, she's fast for a girl or she's fast for a woman mm. or they're they're strong for the women's field. You know, those kind of qualifiers. And I think that's, you know, sometimes that's said in a way that's not malicious at all. Um, but I do think there's like subtle undercutting of the talent in the women's field sometimes when those qualifiers are put on. And I would say, you know, about three years ago, we had a national championships and it's the first time that I remember this happening, but a ton of like young U.S. boys, like young male mountain bikers came up and were like, wow, we just saw you do that rock garden. Like that was, you're so skilled or you're so fast or you're so strong. And I want to be like you. And it totally took me by surprise. I think I <laughs> come to expect or, or like 
you know, it seems more normal for like the young female mountain bike racers to come up and say, oh, I want to be like you. Um, and I think that's an example of like where it's changing and where I think, you know, they didn't say you're fast for the women's field. They said, you're a really good mountain biker and I, I want to be able to do some of the things you can do. Um, and I, it's a small example, um, but I think it's representative of bigger changes where young boys are taught to potentially look up to women and to respect the efforts of anyone who's competing at the top of a sport. Part of your multi-hyphenate, undeniable role model. How does being a role model make you feel? Thank you, first of all. I think it's a privilege. I think it's something that sometimes makes me feel nervous. It makes me want to be a better version of myself, to represent the values and ideas that I would want to pass along to the next generation and that I would want to see in the next generation of mountain bikers. Um, and I think of it as kind of a responsibility, making sure that I'm aware that when I'm doing something publicly, when I'm racing, when I'm talking about racing, it's something that young women or men could be looking at and looking to as an example. And I, I do think that's something that comes with a lot of responsibility. What do you think one of the qualities that you possess makes you to be a role model outside of your athletic performance? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a hard one. Um, <laughs> you know, we're going to come full circle. I think this ability to combine the joy and hard work. If if I had to pick one thing that I wanted to um, promote, it it's that combination. Because I think if I've learned anything in my career so far, it's that it is so rare that it all comes together. You know, I've had those moments and I'm so lucky and grateful and I've worked incredibly hard to make those happen. So it's not like, you know, it's plucked from the earth and just given this title or given this opportunity, you know, you work really hard, but there's a lot of people who work really hard and it, it just doesn't come together. Um, so I think knowing that you have to really invest in making that process additive to your life. And for me, that's that intersection of joy and hard work. It's knowing that I get to wake up and do something I love to do, and that makes me a better person. And I think when it tips too far to one side or the other, I mean, maybe it's not so bad if it tips too far to the joy side, uh, <laughs> but if it if it tips too far to one side or the other, you either, I think, lose your competitive edge or you lose the most important thing, that kind of soul of sport connection where it is additive to your life and you're enjoying what you're doing. And for me in the next generation, you know, many are called, few are chosen. Like there's many young athletes who want to be a professional or want to make it on the World Cup circuit and, and who may or may not. But if they walk away from this sport, knowing how to work hard with a respect for discipline with the ability to set big goals and chip away at it, and with a love for being outside and being on their bikes and moving their bodies, like they will be better people. They will be more successful at anything they do. And I think that's more important than any title, really. Yeah. Yeah. When you refer to the building stage that you're in right now, what would you say are kind of the key components of that for you? 
Yeah, it's definitely, we're around New Year's. So, you know, we're getting our themes of the year, our mantras, our words dialed in. Um, and that's definitely one that I've been thinking about this year uh, is just building. And my other, my kind of mantra of the year so far is, is just keep going. I think there was a period where I had to really look really critically at a lot of things and and think deeply about, okay, is do I have the right coach? Do I have the right structure? Am I in the right place? And do I have the right tools to do what I want to do? And now I think I've done that really hard work of kind of putting that foundation back in and, you know, whether or not it works, I, I trust the path that I'm on. Um, and I think it's great to be able to say that at this stage. And now it's about continuing to follow that process and follow that path and, you know, trust it. Um, and that that's in some ways the hardest part. So I know that many individuals that like to run because I like to run, they listen to this show. And when you're training for something specific and running, you have a training plan. Is it that your coach puts together a specific training plan that you are following regularly, whether you have a race in the more immediate future versus the distant future? How does that work? Yeah. So I have, it's, it's a, it's a big infrastructure, but I have a coach who writes pretty much my on bike training. Um, I have a strength coach who writes all my in the gym training and I I'll be in the gym two to three days a week. And a lot of it in person. Uh, my strength coach is also my physical therapist. And then I have a nutritionist that I work with. So in any given day, um, I think there's a lot more to the training than one might think. It's, it really is a full-time job. Um, it's at least a nine to five in terms of getting mobility, recovery, getting your training done, not just getting through it, but getting it done in a really high quality manner and having the support around that training that you need to make it the best you can possibly be on that day. Um, and then having the systems in place to be able to do it again the next day. So I have, yeah, a, a pretty robust training calendar. Um, and then we work dynamically um, to, you know, integrate feedback, how I'm feeling, how things are going, um, and try to push the edge where we can. How would you say that things are going now? Things are going well. I think. Yeah. It's a little, it's too soon. To tell. <laughs> I think well, they're okay. <laughs> uh, it's, it's early in the season. So, um, this time of year, just being healthy, being on track in terms of hitting kind of my objectives. Um, that's all you can really ask for. And I do think that's helpful. And this is something that I would recommend to everyone is if you're training for something, if you're looking towards a big goal on the horizon, having KPIs, as we call them, key performance indicators along the way is critical. And this is something that at times I haven't had in my career where I've just tried to get better and better every week, every year, um, which is, you know, a, a good starting point. But at a certain point, um, you can't just add training load every year. You're going to get to a point where you you can take on as much training as you need to. Uh, and there's a law of diminishing returns. So for me, having these indicators of, okay, when I'm at my best, I've hit this benchmark in January, or I um, am able to like put up this power number for this many minutes, or I'm performing this way in the gym. Having those KPIs, um, I think not only makes the process more fun, it's really fun to like hit those little objectives, 
but it also gives you this like small immediate thing to focus on as you're breaking down this big goal. So when you ask like, where am I in my training? It's like, well, I'm hitting my KPIs. So I'm like on track to where I am. Uh, but there's still a long way to go to being where I want to be in the World Cup season. Ah, the mid-roll ad read. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about some of my lovely sponsors who make bringing this content to you week after week possible. First up, AG1 from Athletic Greens. AG1 is really just so much more than a greens powder. It's your daily multivitamin and multimineral pre and probiotic immunity support and more. And yes, it provides your daily greens blend too. Greens powders provide critical phytonutrients, but alone these nutrients don't help empower gut health. By delivering the phytonutrient blend along with the multivitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 creates an environment where the gut can thrive so the body can thrive too. Take it from me, I have been taking AG1 from Athletic Greens for years now, and I cannot imagine my morning routine without it. I literally shake it up every single day after my morning workout. I bring it with me into the studio, and that is like the signaling to my brain, okay, it's go time. You're doing something good for yourself. And now you are prepared to do good for others. Now, of course, as you know, AG1 has an amazing deal for you. If you head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle, you can get a free year's supply of vitamin D3 K2 plus five free travel packs with your purchase. Again, that link athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get all of those freebies. Do something for you. You, trust me, deserve it. Also got to give some love to my friends at Future. Future is a new way to get fully customized personal training that revolves around you. You'll find the guidance, motivation, and accountability that you need to push beyond your comfort zone. Future has all of the benefits of one-on-one personal training without the hour time limit. Whether you need tips for sleeping better the night before a big race, or perhaps you're trying to think about how to fuel yourself best to go toward that big deadlift PR, Future has got you covered. And it all happens directly in the Future app with the tools that you need to track your progress and celebrate milestones. I am, oh my goodness, obsessed, sounds a little strong, but loving working with my guy, Brandon, in the app. He is giving me so much of what I'm asking for, including cranking up the intensity and also the weights. So just last week, I hit a new deadlift PR myself, and I'm feeling strong, capable, and excited for what's to come. Exclusive to Hurdle listeners, get your first month of Future for just $19. Head on over to tryfuture.com slash Hurdle. Again, that is T-R-Y-F-U-T-U-R-E dot com slash Hurdle to get your first month of Future for just $19 today. Let's get back to it. For the person who isn't hitting the KPIs and feels discouraged, what advice do you have to offer about the practice of grace? 
grace is a, a big part of it. And that's something that I I work on a lot. So I have compassion for anyone struggling with that. But I think some of it is being able to kind of switch in and out of this objective mode. So when you're just looking at training, you're looking at numbers, you're looking at this output, there's like this objective piece where you're like, is it good or bad? Is it going well or not? And it's important to be able to take that perspective and like objectively analyze how things are going. But I think there's also this piece that's very subjective, how you feel, like what's happening in your life, how um, kind of the environment around you is impacting your performance in any given moment or week or year. And those things we can't always control and we can't always predict how they will impact our performance. Um, I think a lot of times the athlete who gets injured mid-season will like win worlds. And everyone says when they get injured, oh, bummer, their season's over. But somehow the rest like allows them to reach a new level that we never knew they could. Um, So I think it's important to be able to, yes, like keep that in mind, keep track of the objective output and make sure that, you know, if something really isn't working, like you can also make changes. It's never too late to like adjust something, to respond to the feedback you're getting, to say, my body doesn't feel right. Like I need to see a new coach, work with a nutritionist, get some testing done. Like that, that's part of it too, that objective piece. Um, But I think this other side of, having grace and accepting, okay, well, this isn't going great right now, but the tides can always turn. Please, you're not the only person who is like constantly a work in progress when it comes to grace. It can be hard, right? Because we don't work hard to not get the thing that we are working toward. You know, that is never the hope, but that grace and having that exhale moment is the thing that empowers you to keep showing up when those hurdles kind of come up, right? Uh, For you now, as you gear up for another Olympics, what would you say that you're most excited about right now in your training? I love that question. Uh, I think People don't, people don't ask enough about that. The training is 90% of what I do, right? It's so much more time spent than the racing. Um, I think for me right now, it's, it's really exciting to see that my body is just taking on training load. I think it, it legitimately took probably six to eight months to dig out of that hole after just not like kind of overtraining, getting to that low point. Um, I think for a long time, it just, we had to be really conservative. And the way I described it was, um, you know, the 2021 season, I was on a treadmill and it was like one speed too high, right? You're just like, you're barely, barely hanging on. And then eventually you like truly cannot do it anymore. Um, Last year, it was like, we kept the treadmill like within my limits, right? It was never too high. Was always if it like got a little challenging, we'd like turn it down a little bit and stay within that range of, okay, you know, I can handle this. Um, but when I'm at my best and what excites me in racing is when I'm on the treadmill and I'm like, we can turn this baby up. Like we can turn it up, you know? And I think I've <laughs> finally gotten to that place this fall where, you know, when my when my coaches have to hold me back a little bit, that's when it gets fun. Um, and where you start to think, you know, be positively surprised by a workout. I think 
you know, Alexi Pappas has the rule of thirds. Like a third of the days are bad. A third are kind of medium. Our third are like really amazing. And without that third of like, you know, for me, I call it the power meter broken days where I'm like, man, we need to recalibrate this. I don't know if it's right. Like sometimes that happens and it's too low. And you're like, I'm having a really bad day. Maybe my power meter is wrong. But occasionally that'll happen when you're like, it's impossible. I couldn't be this strong. Uh, And then you check and it's right. And you're like, wow, I didn't think that that was going to happen today. Um, And without kind of, I I don't think it's a third, but without those days occasionally, it's it's just not as fun. Um, And so for me, I guess that's my biggest excitement is that there's like some surprise days right now. (laughs) that it almost feels like a third of the time. I love that. And, you know, earlier you used the word robust and I would be remiss if I didn't say that you also have a robust social media following of something like almost 550,000 people. When did that like start to tick up for you? Yeah, for me, I think it was really like results driven initially. I think it really had to do with, um, you know, getting big race results and and just having my name like be out there. Like you win a world cup, it's on TV, a bunch of people follow you. Um, and it's something I've struggled with, like how much to put into that. There's been times where it's really positive and encouraging. And also times, of course, like I think for any athlete who's like been to the top and then maybe had some failures, like people love to, people love the downfall of a champion. Like that is a great you know, fuel for trolls on Instagram. Um, but I also think there's this like really robust support for people that are working hard and just like involved in the process. And so it's this double edged sword where it can be really positive for me. Um, and I think it can be really positive in terms of being a role model and showing what it takes to try to achieve at this level and what it looks like, at least for me to try to do so in a healthy, balanced um, thoughtful way. Uh, but it also mm. has certainly its drawbacks and its challenges. So it's, it's something that I've kind of gone back and forth on in the last few years. How did you navigate, uh, those low lows of 21 with feeling like you were kind of on display then? It was interesting because I think honestly, as I was struggling and, and shared quite a bit of that as it was happening, people were really supportive more so than critical. And I think there were a lot of people who appreciated seeing, you know, a role model or someone that they want to be a role model for their kids showing what it looks like to kind of stumble and and struggle. But I also think there's kind of this like self-protective side where sometimes you really do need to just like be surrounded by the people that love you and know you and not have a lot of external inputs. Because even if the good far outweighs the bad, like there are always questions and people with more negative opinions or critical opinions, Um, especially as a professional athlete. Like I'm in a sport, I get paid to do something that people love to do. And while, you know, if you really spend a lot of time with a professional athlete, a lot of people want to do what I do two to three days of the week. Um, It's it's really... (laughs) It's a challenging job in other circumstances, but I I think it is important to be able to, yeah, insulate yourself from that when necessary. And for me, that was like taking a break and 
healing and and really um, soliciting opinions from people that I love and who love me and who I could trust to not just give me super positive feedback, but to give me appropriate feedback. Yeah, yeah, that's such a such an important takeaway for sure. Uh, on that note, someone goes to your Instagram and they see the labels you throw up top, world champ, Olympian, racer of bikes. When you look in the mirror, Kate, what is it that you see looking back at you? None of those titles have changed who I am as a person. They've been really fun. Like I think in particular, like winning world championships or um you know, winning a World Cup in front of my family, like things like that. They're just, they're unbelievable life experiences. Like they're such highs. But I think for me, I just see someone who's willing to try. And that is what I want to protect. I want to protect that like fierce willingness just to like give it all I've got, try something new, push myself in training, see what happens. It's it's something that's like deeply a part of who I am and that I think shows up in bike racing, but that I also know will show up in anything I do um, and that I get to take with me and to apply to what I'm passionate about and what I'm curious about and what I care about and what um, makes my life interesting and fun, not just for me, but for the people that I share it with. What was it like to win a world championship? It was pretty awesome. (laughs) No, I think you only get one of those moments if you're lucky. And I went into that race, you know, trying to be on the podium. That was certainly my goal, but with no expectation of winning. And when I think about it, I think, you know, there was the moment that I, in the race, took the lead and thought, okay, if I want this, I have to perform like I deserve it and kind of got this confidence in my ability to deliver under pressure that I think will be with me forever. Like to be in that moment with yourself and say, okay, I'm here. Like, what do I have? And to be able to give your best is, I think, a really important experience. But the main thing I think of is my parents standing at the finish line. There's like a video of all of us crying and and just to be able to share that with them and to know how much so many people put into the process of getting me there and to be able to like be the vessel of all this work and all this passion and all this commitment. And to be able to pull it off, like it was just one of the most exciting and emotional moments of my life. And I know, you know, there's there's little moments like that in training all the time. There's tiny little breakthroughs. There's tiny moments of where you get to travel to a race with your family. Like there's little hints of it. But I think there's also this kind of like acknowledgement and respect that those huge ones are, you know, a few times in a lifetime. What would you say your ultimate goal is? You know, I'm tempted to like give a results goal. There's of course like ones on the t- the table, right? That's the first thing you're like, oh, I want to do that thing. But when you go beneath it, I think um, I really thought a lot about this idea of like infinite versus finite games and like a world championships and Olympics, 
any bike race is this finite game. It's like there's a start line, there's a finish line, you show up, it starts, it's over, there's a clear result. But the infinite game of, for me, like trying to be the best mountain biker that I can possibly be, that's a long-term process. And it's one that has no clear start or end and that has no real clear input or output. Um, but that is a really long-term process and that all those finite games play into. Like I think every finite game is an opportunity to gain skills and gain mastery that feeds into that bigger goal. Um, and then of course, mountain biking is probably a finite game and like your overall desire to evolve and achieve as a person. So we can get very deep with that, but I would say, yeah, for me right now, it's just to to see it through and to see how far and how fast and how long I can go. You got married at the end of last year. Congratulations. Thank you. How does married life feel? Oh, it's a blast. Yeah. It's been uh <laughs> Oh, it's so fun. We're uh, we're up here in Tahoe together, skiing a bunch, and and hopefully we'll go home and ride our bikes if it's not too rainy. Yeah, I think for me, it's really it's a privilege to have that kind of partnership in my life, and I feel really grateful that you know we met uh, when I was a freshman on the mountain bike team. So Will, my husband, is someone that's really like been a part of my life for a very long time and has supported me in achieving these dreams and pushing me, but that also I know loves and cares about me um, for who I am as a person. And I think that's that's a real gift as an athlete to have that presence in your life and to have that person um, to share that with. I'm curious, how do you show up for yourself on the days where it just feels like you cannot show up at all? There are certainly those days. For me, I'm sure you have them running, uh, especially it's wintertime right now. So we can all uh, think about that a little bit. Uh, but for me, I think it comes down to structure. It's kind of like setting New Year's resolutions where when you're like thinking about it, it's like really exciting and you're super motivated. And you want to do it all right away. Uh, but anything great that you really want to do takes long-term commitment and discipline over such a period of time that you will definitely have days you don't want to do it. Like there will definitely be days that you don't want to get on on your bike or you don't want to run. And for me, that's about having training partners. It's about having that like nine o'clock appointment at the gym Monday and Friday where like I have to be there and there's a person keeping me accountable. Um, and when you don't have that person, like you need to be that person for yourself and have the structure, have the schedule, have the commitment so that you take out the choice every single day. You're not waking up and saying, will I do this or not? It's how am I going to do this? And it's it's a structure that you've committed to ahead of time. This also goes back to your super important point from before when you were talking about the value of your why, right? Because knowing your why is going to be the thing that like when your bed is super warm and you know that you had every intention to work out in 45 minutes from the moment you woke up that you get up out of bed. That's going to be the reason that when it is a little gloomy outside, but it's totally fine to go out there and lace up, that you're going to get your shoes out of the closet and go after it, right? That why is the thing that changes everything. Completely. And it's it's hard to find sometimes. And that's something, you know, to bring it full circle to earlier in our conversation, I think 
sometimes contemplating quitting is the best way to actually find that why. Like I was taught from a young age, you never quit. You always finish what you start and you just, you push through and you do it, which is great. Like it's a really beautiful skill that my parents gave me and it pays off big time in the world of elite athletics. Um, But the ability to say, no, I, I don't have to do this. I'm choosing to do this. Um, I think is a really powerful one. And it's a it's that why piece that kind of emerges when you ask yourself that question, like, what if it all went away tomorrow? What if no one paid me to race my bike and I didn't have to do it and I didn't have to go on this ride today? Like, is that what I want? And usually, at least for me, when it's something I really care about, if I just like even entertain that question for a moment, you're you like have this soul voice that comes through and says like, no, you like, I have to do this and this is why. Um, and I think that why can carry you through a lot of tough moments. I also believe that there can be both, right? Like you can know your why and use it often, right? Use it to be the thing that gets you out of bed often, but also coming back to the note of grace have to be okay with the idea that there are going to be days that it's just not going to happen. And that is okay, right? Like they happen to everyone from Olympians, I'm gesturing toward you, to regular folks like me. And to know that like there is going to be another day, hopefully, and that you will have the opportunity to find that why after a little respite, that's important as well. I love that. And it's that's so true. And it's true for all of us. Um, And I think it's challenging not to kind of double down on your own challenge. Like when you face that to then say, and because you didn't do this, now you're a bad runner or bad athlete or, you know, kind of like making the situation worse. Um, Something that's helped me a lot. Have you read Atomic Habits? I have. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one to bring around the New Year's time. I love they, he talks about not missing twice where if you miss a habit, if you like skip a day, have a bad off day, don't adjust your view of yourself, right? So for me, like, let's say I'm supposed to ride seven days a week and I miss a day. Instead of being someone who's, you know, not consistent in my riding, I can just be, I'm, I am still someone who rides every day. And that was just a fluke. You know, that was just a bad day. That was no problem. Happens to everyone. Move on. I'll ride tomorrow. Um, and I think the ability to kind of like keep that self-image and that support of yourself when you do have those off moments, um, in the long run, you forget about them. Like you completely forget that ever happened unless you allow it to dominate um, the pattern moving forward. Right now, you, Kate, have an opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice at the end of the 21 season, going through that hurdle moment, knowing what you know now. What do you tell yourself? I'm kidding. I'm not. If I had to offer myself a piece of advice, it would be a piece of advice that I read this week um, from Jesse Diggins, who's this incredible cross-country skier. She's a superstar. Uh, And she, I guess, has been having some bad races in the last week. And she posted a quote, if the seas were always calm, we would never build a better boat. And I loved that because I think that's really what I've been trying to do 
in the past few years is build a better boat. And I think when those seas are stormy, when your boat's failing, it's really hard to look forward to that and see it as part of that process of getting better. It feels like a process of coming apart or of uh, moving backwards or disintegrating. Um, and really, that's the beginning of the process of building a better boat. So that that would be my piece of advice. Love that. Kate, I'm so glad that we were able to make this happen. Thank you for your time. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give me your details. Thank you so much. It was awesome to uh, be able to chat with you today and big fan of your podcast and of you. And hopefully we can uh, connect in the future. Following me, Instagram is probably the easiest, Kate plus fate. That's it. Kate plus fate. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.